0: Okay, Terry and I, um, my wife, um, if you haven't met her, she was standing next to me a min- minute ago, um, um, but we were very blessed and very privileged um, just a couple of weeks ago to uh, be sponsored to to do a, a trip to Israel, and um, but the... The, the focus of the trip, and there were a number of others, I think Rich and Emma, you guys were there, a few, few guys were there, uh, it was called a Disciple Maker's Tour, so it wasn't a holiday, um, but more a, a focus on Jesus, an intentional focus on Jesus, and, and so what we did uh, from basically the time that we arrived uh, until we left again is we, we followed in the footsteps of Jesus, and uh, I, I didn't think I would come back and say this. I walked nearly 120 kilometers in the time that we were there because we were actually walking in the places that Jesus walked. And of course, that's very interesting. So, for example, when we read about in Matthew chapter 4, in the sermon, uh, uh, not the sermon, the um, temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, we actually spent about two and a half hours walking through the wilderness. And you kind of get a whole new perspective of what it must have been like to fast for 40 days in this barren, dry place. And it's not flat. It's very hilly, barren hills. And there the, the Bible says that the devil came and tempted him and tested him. And we, we had an opportunity to do that. We went to, uh, for example, the Mount of Olives, where we know Jesus, would, re- when He was in Jerusalem, would regularly go, and that was His place of prayer. He would go there in amongst all of these olive groves, and, and He would go and spend time in prayer. And we, we kind of finished it all off by by what is believed to be the place where Peter would have preached to literally thousands and thousands of people after Pentecost. Uh, it is assumed in that time that maybe over 200,000 people would, would come into Jerusalem, and, and there Peter would, uh, was the outpouring of the Spirit. And Peter then preached to, to this great crowd, and then the Bible says about 3,000 people uh, got saved that day and were baptized. And I always try to figure out in my mind, how in the world do you baptize 3,000 people in a place like Jerusalem? Because there's no water. And we, we, you know, it was. And I'm not going to go into all of that this morning. That's not the message. But, but, but it, you actually realise how possible it was when you go to the location uh, in which it happened. But, but the trip for me was more than just um, another bus tour. Have you ever been on a bus tour where they take you to all the highlights and all the nice sites, and you go ooh and ah about all these nice places? But this this whole trip was was different because we had a to a leader who was very intentional and very passionate on focusing on the way that Jesus went about making disciples. And at the end of that trip, we all came away with this sense. We understand that our goal as believers is to make disciples who will make disciples. We got it. Having spent that those eleven days together with somebody who was very intentional and very focused on that, we understand that what Jesus has called us to do is to make disciples who will make disciples themselves. We we over this this past while we've been in a series which we've called Engage. I don't know what happened to our board, but it's somehow. I think it got packed away in the wedding yesterday. But we've been, we've been reminding ourselves in this series that Jesus commanded and called us as his church to go and make disciples. He's spoken about us being very intentional about leading people to Christ. He's spoken uh, to us very clearly about the fact that when somebody follows Jesus, it's because of what God is doing in their lives, not because of what. We've done in their lives. Now, if the church, when I say church, I'm not talking about the building, but people like you and me are going to get this right, then our goal has to be to ensure that people know and understand who Jesus is. We have People have to know and understand what Jesus has come to do for them. People need to know and understand the life that Jesus has called them to live. Because we want people to be followers of Christ, not just churchgoers or good people. I need to say this morning, and if I may have your permission, we've got enough churchgoers and nice people. What we desperately need is people who are followers of Jesus. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul touches on this whole issue. Because in this very young church, they were not a church like Connect. This was a young church that he'd planted probably about 18 months before that. And he noticed something was happening in the church. And this is what he saw, that that the, the believers in the church were starting to elevate certain people and personalities. They were putting people on a pedestal instead of Jesus. And in the process, they were doing a lot of damage to the gospel. So what he does is he begins to share with them how he did ministry, what his ministry involved, and he's describing this in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. It says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. But listen to this. A demonstration of the Spirit's power so that, here's the reason, your faith might not rest on men's wisdom. But your faith might rest on God's power. And if we want people to be followers of Jesus, there has to be a reliance on the work of the Spirit, not on ourselves. it has got to be a reliance on the work of the Spirit. You see, in the light of what we know about Paul, and we we know quite a lot about Paul because we've got a lot of information, Paul had an amazing intellect. He he was a phenomenal theologian. He had an ability to to pen and to describe uh, the life of Jesus and, the, and what the Christian life is about, unlike very many other people who were His contemporaries. He was a gifted man, an incredibly gifted man. He was willing to, to sacrifice and lay down for the sake of the Gospel. And in fact, He Himself acknowledges that from a human perspective, He had all the credentials you could ever want. Listen to what He says in Philippians 3. And I'm going to just pick it up and part way through... Uh, verse 4, it says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I've got more. And then he gives you his whole pedigree. Here's a man, if you say, if you want to look at me from a human perspective, every box that you could want to tick, you could tick in my life. I could tick in my life. So in the light of Paul's saying, when he says, "I came to you, brothers. Uh, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling." What in the world is he getting at? Why is a man with so, who is so gifted, so able, why is he say, "I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling"? I, you've got to, we've got to investigate why, why, what he's getting at over here, because I think that's, that's you, you say, but. Here's a man who was so good. What's he trying to get out of here? And what I think he is highlighting, he's highlighting the danger of relying on ourselves rather than the Spirit of God. that Make sense to you? Now, I'm not saying he didn't use his gifts. I'm saying he didn't rely on them. There's a huge difference to you using your gift and relying on them. And what he's saying, my reliance and dependence, that's why he says, I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He said, I'm not relying on me, I'm relying on the Holy Spirit. For him, that that was a learning curve. He had to learn not to rely on his incredible abilities and skills, fancy oratory on his pedigree. And I think for us it means exactly the same. It means that we need to go before God... And be set free on focusing on ourselves. Or the tendency that we have to rely on what we are able to do. May I say to you, this is a very significant issue for the generation in which we are living. You see, because we've all been told to believe in ourselves. We've all been told, trust in yourself. we are all being told... You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. That's the message of our culture today. And friends, I want to say, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians a little bit later on. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not acting like mere men? What after all is Apollos? What's Paul? Now, I'll tell you who Apollos was. He was the guy you would like to call as your new senior pastor to connect connect church. He was a phenomenal preacher. He could preach anybody under the the pulpit, I guess would be the right phrase to use. Who is Paul? The great theologian of the Bible. Listen to his answer. He says, They are only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord is assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Do you get the point? For others, it means dealing with the fact that our fears overwhelm us. What people will think of us, how people will respond to us, I want to say part of the reason for those fears is because we are so focused on ourselves. Friends, this is not about you and me. It's about Him. That's why when Jesus said, In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He's saying you received God's power so that you can proclaim the good news. You have received God's power so that God will be at work through you. You should be expecting to see God at work through you. I was listening the other day to uh, a sermon and, was, and uh, was, was quite amused by this pastor who was sharing uh, in his circle of friends. There was somebody who came to him and said, uh, can you just explain to me what it means to, uh, to be a Christian? So he went through it very simply, spoke about that we're all sinners, spoke about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, spoke about the fact that there is forgiveness in Jesus and by faith that we can be saved. And after he'd finished explaining all of this, uh, he said very timidly to, uh, tell me, would you like to be a Christian? She said, absolutely, that's what I'm waiting to. He said, I nearly fell off my chair because I'm so used to people saying no. I stopped for- expecting people to say yes. I wonder if that started to happen to us. That there's more anticipation of what's not going to happen rather than what God is going to do uh, in people's lives. But then Paul goes on and he touches on a, another issue that I think needs attention. And that is very simply this. What Christ has done on the cross is enough. We don't have to make the gospel that is in this Bible more palatable than it is. We don't need to water down the love of God or start to undermine the work of the Spirit. The Word is the Word. It's what Jesus has done. Listen to what He says In chapter 1 and verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So when Paul preaches Christ and Him crucified, he is saying, this is the greatest act of love you will ever see in all of history. I'm not going to dumb that down. Friends, when Jesus died on the cross, Romans chapter 5, I think it is, and verse 8, God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, if you're going to alter that, you're going to alter the love of God and what that looks like. When Paul preached Christ and Him crucified, he knew it's the only way that people can have peace with God, that people can have a relationship with, With Jesus. That's Romans chapter 5 and 1. What he's talking about. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul preached Christ and Him crucified. He was saying that when Jesus died on the cross. He broke the power of sin in people's lives. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you will face temptation. But I want to say to you on the cross, sin's power was broken. When Paul preached Jesus and Him crucified, it's because he knew that Satan and his demons got defeated. Colossians having disarmed the the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Friends, people are not saved through listening to a song. People are not born Christians. I've heard some people say, I was born a Christian. As far as I know, I was born a sinner. I don't think you can be born a Christian a Christian. I think you become a Christian because the Son of God went to Jerusalem and allowed people to mock Him and scorn Him and lie about Him and beat Him and nail Him to a cross and He died in our place. That's why we saved, friends. It's through Jesus. There is no other way. When we talk about Christ and Him crucified, we're not just talking about describing the cross. We're talking about the power of But another issue that um, stands out strongly for me in in these scriptures over here is is that Paul highlights that through his ministry, people were being exposed to the power of God. People were being exposed to the power of God. He puts it like this. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You know something the Lord had to teach me as a Christian? He had to teach me about His power. You see, we often don't understand God's power. We think we do. But let me tell you, we don't. When I I looked around at other believers, I kind of thought, well, maybe I'm understanding God's power. Then I one day realized I wasn't. Uh, When I I sometimes listened to the the kind of teaching that I was receiving, I was hearing nothing about God's power. I want to say, Paul even prays that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know His power for us. And so for me, my journey started where I needed to know about God's power in me because I don't want to be witnessing to others and telling other people about something that's not true for me. There needs to be an authenticity of God's power in my own life. And I want to say to you today, I believe God has revealed that to me to the extent where I'm confident to pray and minister to others because what He's done for me, He can do for you. But then we, we need to deal with With what living in this world does to us. The lies that we've been exposed to. Relying on our own understanding. The fact that religion doesn't work, friends. You can be as religious as you like. It's not going to change you. I think the devil's been working really hard over a lot of years to try and dilute this truth. That when the church pays for an empowering, they should expect an empowering. And nothing less than that. When Paul speaks about a demonstration of power, it was because he was seeing before his own eyes the power of God transforming people in Corinth. Let me read it to you. In case you're probably saying, well, John, I'm not sure that I can believe you. 1 Corinthians 6. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were, past tense. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What does he mean by a demonstration of power? Let me unpack what I think he means by that. A demonstration of power is when the Holy Spirit is at work through what we have been saying to somebody. You know, when God takes our simple words and empowers them, they land very powerfully in somebody else's life. I, I've been in the pastorate for quite a number of years. I cannot tell you the number of stories where people have said to me uh, after, a, after a Sunday, they, they, they could not help themselves but respond because God was at work in their lives through the words that had been spoken. That's the power of the Spirit. That's not some clever eloquence. That's the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit is when people get convicted for what they've said and done, you know. I was talking about the three thousand people that got saved earlier on when Peter preached to them. Do you know that six weeks before that, that same crowd of people were shouting one thing? Do you remember what it was? Crucify, crucify, crucify! Why are people who are so adamant that Jesus should be crucified? Why do they stop the preacher in the middle of his sermon and say, "Please tell us what to do"? That's the Holy Spirit's power. No other way of describing it. A demonstration of powers when the Holy Spirit gives somebody a revelation about Jesus. Do you know the Bible says the minds of unbelievers have been blinded? So if they are blinded, how in the world can they believe in Jesus if they're blind to who He is? Well, the Spirit of God gives them a revelation. You see, Peter discovered that one day when Jesus was saying, who do men say that I am? And some saying the prophet, and some saying Elijah. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know what Jesus said? You didn't get that from anybody else. That was from my Father in heaven. Friends, the Spirit of God does that for people. A demonstration of power is when God interrupts a life That is strongly opposed to Him. Strongly opposed to Jesus. Strongly resistant to the gospel. God interrupts that life and turns it around and makes a person like Paul passionate for the gospel. You see, God can do even that. That's a demonstration of power. Our message and our ministry... And our testimonies must focus on Jesus, what Jesus has come to do, what Jesus is still doing. And I think there needs to be a shift that takes place for us. And I'll tell you what I think it is, a shift from self to Jesus. A shift from self-reliance to Holy Spirit-reliance. A shift from what we can do to what God can do. Over the past number of months, something that God has been speaking to me about is exactly this. I I began to understand some months back, and and it was amazing. I feel it was a real work of God. The Lord began to show me how self-dependent I've been for a long time. And He said, John, do you know what? You are very dependent on yourself. And I said, Lord, well, show me how that is true. And he said, why don't you listen to your prayers for a minute? And I discovered, you know, that a lot of the time I pray about me. What about you? And I really bring that before God. In fact, this morning, before coming, I had to say, God... I need to put me in its rightful perspective. Because you see, I'm actually only the servant here today. You are the one that's meant to do the work, not me. How many of you have ever seen, how many of you have ever watched a, a great. Uh, Maybe golf player or a tennis player or somebody like that. do 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 you ever talk about how great their racket was? You talk about how great the player was. You see, I'm only the racket in the hand of God. He's the player. He's the arm that holds me. He's the one that has the skill. But have you ever seen a tennis player try and play tennis without a racket? My point is both are necessary. But the racket can't have a mind of its own if the player's going to win the game. It's got to follow through with what he's doing. And Paul is saying, yeah, we are the servants of God. Come into alignment and allow God to use you because He's going to if you let Him. I feel we need to learn to humble ourselves again. You probably know this, but you know we're living in a consumer-driven society. Eh? Do you know that people usually are at church because they like what they get? I had such a fun thing, heard such a fun thing the other day. Heard of a church that you go to, they give you popcorn when you arrive now. Oh, if it works for them, that's cool. Because we aren't here just to be stroked. We are here to be equipped. We're here for a purpose. And, and, and we are living, and we need to just acknowledge for a moment, we're living in a culture and a society that's all about us. Everything's about us. The gospel is about Jesus. It's about Him. It's about what He's come to do. And let me finish with this. You can't do it on your own. And nor can I. Now I know I've been pumping the prayer meetings a bit and I'm going to keep on. Because I want you all in the prayer meeting. But here's the thing. I will only believe that you believe that God can do it by His Spirit and will do it by His Spirit when we start praying and asking for that. It's no good us talking about it. We've got to put it into practice. We've got to say, God, empower your church again. We've got to say, God, fill us with your spirit again. We've got to say, Lord, we need the empowering and enabling of God. If we're not going to ask Him by default, we are suggesting we've got it all. That's a very dangerous place. If there's a battle on the go. If the early church prayed, God, give us boldness, who Are we not to take that and say that's an example for us, let us pray that again. I want us to be praying as a church because we've got a mission to accomplish. But it doesn't start with you witnessing. It starts with you and me praying. It's the starting point. I'm finished. (laughs) But what I'd love to do in finishing off... um, Phil, can you just read that word that you had earlier on? I think it was a nice promise over there that we need to embrace. And then what I'd like us to do, just some of you, um, if you'd like to go and have coffee, that's great. But we want to have a ministry time. And um, I, I have a sense there, there are people here today who who really struggle with what I'm talking about in the sense of, John, I get very fired up here, but when I go and do it out there, it's kind of all falls flat. I know what that's like. I've been there. But I, if, if you would like us to pray for you this morning, you're saying, God, will you empower me in the way the Bible speaks about it? We will pray for you. And I believe God will do it for you. I know that because He did it for me. If you are here this morning and you're saying, I need you to pray for me because I want to be empowered again for the purposes of God. I'm here to follow Jesus. We will pray for you. If you've never, ever been filled with the Spirit before, then come and let us pray for you. And watch what God's going to do. It's about, Remember, we're just the instruments. He's the one who does the work. Thank you. Can you come read that for us? I think it was a great word uh, that Phil had it earlier on, and I thought I'd keep it to the end because it's... Um, It's quite a nice encouragement for us and for the generations that follow us. Okay, the word is just from Acts, um, after Peter had stood up and preached. Um, Acts verse 39, let me just get it for you quickly.